From points across California, you're listening to the Disneyland edition of the Diz Unplugged. The Diz Unplugged podcast Disneyland edition is brought to you by Dreams Unlimited Travel. Experts at helping you plan the perfect Disney vacation. Visit them on the web at www.dreamsunlimitedtravel.com. Hello and welcome to the Dis Unplugged Edition, episode 698 for the week of August 13th, 2017. I am your host for this episode and the Disney historian for the Dis Unplugged, Michael Bowling. You know, our longtime listeners have heard my many reports on the activities and presentations at the Walt Disney Family Museum. Uh, My wife and I have been museum members since the year the museum opened. And it is my pleasure to welcome as our guest for this episode, Michael Labrie, who is the Director of Collections and Exhibitions for the Walt Disney Family Foundation and the Walt Disney Family Museum. And he's the co-curator of the museum's current exhibition, Awaking Beauty, the Art of Ivan Earl. Michael has more than 25 years of art management experience, having managed private collections for 18 years before managing special projects for the San Francisco Airport Museum. And and folks might be surprised to know that the San Francisco Airport has an extensive um, museum collection. I think they have like eight museums um, scattered around the airport. And so Michael prepared the exhibits, worked in the collections department, uh, managed the staff, and established relationships with the Fine Arts Museums of San Francisco. Uh, Michael has been with the Walt Disney um, Family Foundation since 2003. He worked alongside Diane Disney Miller and her family, building the collections to tell the story of Walt Disney, his life, with a focus on the family and achievements. Michael facilitated the move and installation of the collections for the opening of the museum in 2009 and took on management of the special exhibitions efforts in 2013. In addition to Awakening Beauty, Libri um, curated Water to Paper, Paint to Sky, The Art of Tyrus Wong, and co-curated Heinrich Clay, From Fantasy to Fantasia, and The Lost Notebook, Secrets of Disney's Movie Magic, and Leading Ladies and Femme Fatales, The Art of Mark Davis for the Walt Disney Family Museum. So, Michael, thank you for joining us on the Diz Unplugged, and welcome Thank you for that amazing introduction. I want to raise. I do so much. (laughs) (laughs) I wholeheartedly agree, especially after seeing this this exhibit on Ivan Earl. Um, For our listeners who aren't familiar with the Walt Disney Family Museum, can you just tell them a little about it, about its background and uh, its mission and what they'll find there? Sure, sure. Um, I'll start with the mission. How about that? Uh, And this was created by Diane and her family. The Walt Disney Family Museum presents an inspirational journey through the life of Walter Elias Disney. Our mission is twofold, to inform present and future generations about the man and through his story, to inspire them to heed their imagination and persevere in pursuing their goals. So that really is the essence of what we do here, and that's what we strive to continue in Diane's honor and memory. She gave us a lot to do um, 
since she's been involved with this project. Um, I started in 2003. It was a warehouse in the Presidio. You could see the light through the walls. There was an old wood, wooden structure. And um, the original plan for the museum was to be in that space. And uh, the more we approached the collection and how things were going to be presented, it really needed more. And uh, Diane's children, particularly Walter, Elias Disney Miller and Joanna Miller, uh, really said, you know, Mom, we've got to do more about Grandpa. We need to do <laughs> an exhibition. I mean, we need to do a galleries and exhibitions that really... Uh, allow people to come and experience our grandpa and your father. And that's when we moved up to the main parade ground here with these wonderful stately brick structures that were built in 1895 and uh, housed two companies of soldiers here at the Presidio. So we have this magnificent space and we took over the gym, the uh, gymnasium that was here for the, post uh, and the officers and that houses our special exhibition hall named after Diane and uh, the Diane Disney Miller Exhibition Hall and it houses our collection as well as our some of our offices. And it, it's a beautiful facility. I grew up just like on the other side of the hill from the Presidio yeah. and yeah and I think that the restoration that went into those buildings in order to house the museum and its collections was remarkable and um it really is beautiful and you know i and and also the galleries though aren't static i mean people say oh yeah i went there a few years ago and they think well nothing's changed but even with the permanent galleries uh, you're constantly switching um the exhibits in and out we so are. that we, there's we always new things yeah. We try to keep everything fresh as well as uh, our ongoing preservation of the collections. So we're limited as to how long some objects can be on, ex on exhibit, uh, exposed to light and temperature changes. And also we, we do want to keep things fresh and preserved for in perpetuity for future generations. Now the uh, the latest exhibit is on the life and art of Ivan Earl. It's Awaking Beauty: The Art of Ivan Earl. Can you tell our listeners who was Ivan Earl? Ivan Earl was an incredible character. I got to say. Mm -hmm. I mean, you have his uh, biography. You're going mm -hmm. to be uh, delving into, and um, it's just a very interesting man, very interesting, uh, you know, childhood. And, uh, you know, they say <laughs> that he was actually uh, kidnapped by his father. His, mm -hmm. his mom was his father's fourth wife and, um, their, their marriage was estranged and, uh, his father had custody of him on a weekend. And so he, he told her that he was going to be taking her, him to Palm Springs for the weekend. And he ended up taking him to Mexico <laughs> and then all over Europe. And uh, so he had a very interesting start in life. His father gave him two options. One was to read 50 pages of a book every day or do a painting. And he chose both. So he was very 
fastidious, busy man throughout his life. Yeah, he's. I think the interesting that he did both, and he did it for four years until he was fourteen, and I think that yeah. that says something about his personality. That because it seems like as I'm going through his autobiography, Horizon Bound on a Bicycle, and also the the book that's the the catalog for the exhibition. I mean, he just seemed like he was incredibly focused. An incredibly driven um, person in what in whatever he did. He was, and um, another um, just note about his childhood, which also helped to drive him. Uh, his brother uh, died from cerebral palsy, and his he contract he con he uh, came down with cerebral palsy shortly after his his brother had passed away. And so obviously he survived, but he had a, uh, his face was palsied on one side and he was very self-conscious of that and, uh, said he didn't smile very much or, you know, engage, uh, that frequently, but it's interesting. His focus went to his art mm -hmm. and his, uh, determination to produce a painting every day and, uh, you know, he cultivated self-confidence, gave him strength to carry him through his life. It's pretty interesting story. Uh, it's quite a success story. And how would, no, his painting style, as I went through the exhibition, it seemed like he had, well, I should say his art style because he worked in practically every medium there was. Um, it seemed like it really progressed or he had, uh, I don't, he had like different styles depending upon what he was working on. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, he really did uh, like to try different uh, mediums and he had many ideas to come up with different look and feel of, of his, uh, his works. And yes, from, from doing uh, animation to uh, where he animated the intros to, let's say, um, West Side Story or commercials for Chevrolet or all of these endeavors he had. Uh, he tried so many different ways to present his art and the scratch boards, which um, I don't know if you spent a lot of time on the scratch boards, but those mm -hmm. are remarkable. And so there is nothing forgiving about scratch boards. You make the wrong scratch and you have to start over. So it's, it's pretty fascinating. His determination, his focus and the output, he just was so prolific. Yeah. And, and, and it also is interesting is, is that when he, at 14, when he spent those four years doing, you know, a, painting a day uh, he then put on his first art exhibition i mean at 14 that's yeah. amazing <laughs> <laughs> pretty remarkable and well received he, mm -hmm. he was very well received uh in in uh in new york city yeah and then at 21 he uh rode his bike cross country from hollywood to new york and he and it took him what forty-five days, and he painted, or he did a watercolor every day, and that's how he. And then he sold some of them along the way, and that's how he financed his trip. And again, right. I, I just amazing. <laughs> Forty-two paintings he did on that trip. 
in 45 days. And um, part of his trip was also uh, sponsored by his uncle, William Carlos Williams, the poet. And uh, his uncle was very interested in his work and commissioned him to do some works for him, uh, one being that gigantic painting that's uh, 13 feet tall and six feet wide that we just presented as a graphic. But it was a spectacular painting done in the 40s, early 40s of Manhattan under the bridge. And I don't know if you recall that in the uh, mm-hmm. in the exhibition, but it's because uh, so his uncle, who was a poet, as I mentioned, and interesting how Ivan not only painted, he wrote and he he did a lot of poetry. He did a poem for just about every painting he he produced. Yeah, and uh, and then that, and then he also, and on top of that, he, like he had all this free time, I guess, bike riding. I don't know. He started. He kept a <laughs> journal. I don't know how he did. First of all, I'm amazed he did it in 45 days. And, um, <laughs> right, and then, right. and then somewhere in there, he could do a watercolor a day. And he also uh-huh. kept a journal that ultimately he added to, and that became his autobiography. And yes, so the, the ten thousand word diary. Yeah. Yeah, Horizon Bound on a Bicycle. And, you know, this, it's a really interesting read. It's very easy to read. You can tell he did not use an editor. And um, because sometimes I find the same name spelled like six different times in two pages, but are six Some different ways. Some of those ways. stories I wished he did edit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Some but, of the stories about it, he comes off as being almost a, a stalker in some instances <laughs> you well, read, but uh, mm-hmm. it was just his fascination with beauty and, and um, his drive. And he seemed to he comes across in his book as a bit of a romantic. I, I mean, where he he falls head over heels for for you know the, the women that he fell in love with. He really fell hard for them. Yes, yes, he did. And uh, and in that he he talks about not wanting to be like his father, who obviously had had four wives. He really wanted to um, be a different man. Is how he explains it in the book. Oh right, yeah, he was devoted to both his wives, to Alice, who passed away of lung cancer, and that devastated him um, yes. when that happened. And then years and years later, he met his second wife, Joan, and they they were together, you know, for the rest of their lives. So um, yeah. Now, what's interesting too is he came from. A family with an arts background. You mentioned his father, um, Ferdinand, um, but he was, and his father was an artist, a writer, a poet, motion picture director way back, I guess, and pictures were in their infancy. And then his mother, Charlotte, was a concert pianist. And then yes. you mentioned his uncle, too, who was a, a poet. Yes. Yeah, it's a fascinating family. Um, yes, his father, um, he, when he moved to Hollywood to follow the industry's relocation, he said about making a film, the Rubaiyat of Omar Khayyam, for which mm-hmm. he a- acted as scriptwriter, director, editor, art director, and producer, in addition to painting most of the backgrounds. Really interesting man. And uh, when Ivan, um, uh, he left his father, he actually had gone at one point to his studio and he saw all the paintings from his years in the movie 
and um, he he took piles of panels ready to be used for painting. He loaded them up uh, to last a year, and that was uh, he, and he selected a bunch of his father's paintings that he liked and intended to copy. He was really intrigued by his father. He says, uh, looking back on my father, I have, of course, mixed feelings and emotions. How strange that the forces of destiny, what I call today some kind of cosmic destiny, gave me such a strange and different kind of father. I had lessons to learn, and maybe no one could teach them better to me than Ferdinand Earl. So he had a fascination with his father. He had a long uh, later in years with his mother. And um, she was a fascinating woman who taught piano to support herself and Ivan through the struggles in his early career. Um, so very interesting story. Well, well, and what's interesting, that, that quote about his father, I think it shows how philosophical um, Ivan Earl was, and that comes through, I think, in his paintings. Also, he was a very spiritual man, and I, mm, I believe you can, you can see that because many of his paintings are of nature, and mm-hmm. I, I, that just somehow comes through uh, his mm-hmm. spirituality. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't know, can you, t- can you talk more about, because the exhibit is broken up into two, almost two sections, and the first floor is sort of... It, are more his non-Disney work in the, in the Diane Disney Miller exhibition hall. First floor is his non-Disney work. And I found that we, we talked off air before the interview. I said, I spent over an hour just on this floor because I, I just got, I lost myself in these paintings. They were mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. magnificent and so detailed. And you just find that, you can just go on and on. The the paintings draw you inside of them. Can you t- sort of tell our listeners about you know that that artwork that he did of that time? Well, what we did was it uh, basically the exhibition is chronological. When you first enter, you see his very earliest works, and then um, leading up to his time in the navy and uh, the wartime efforts and service. And and while he was in the Navy, he did portraits uh, of the officers and um, different different, uh, enlisted men. He also did a mural. He would charge them $5 a piece for the enlisted men's uh, portraits. He also did these really interesting uh, gags about his time in the Navy uh, where it's an exaggerated... uh, uh, not that an that a navy officer is is creating on the dock or or something where they're unloading spam and it, it overloads the dock or explosions and mm-hmm. tattoos and it's sort of really fascinating the different caricatures he did uh, but we we took the whole Disney element and moved it up to the mezzanine so that you really could get lost in any part of his life's career. And um, being a pretty complete retrospective, we wanted to be able to have each room have a, a time in his life. And, of course, the, the Disney attraction and um, collection of his Sleeping Beauty concept and uh, production pieces really lend itself to be sort of viewed separately. But his works uh, that he did right up till the day he died 
um, very prolific. There were times he had 10 paintings going at the same time. Uh, they took many hours and days to dry. Um, he had an interesting uh, desire to lacquer everything. So they all have this sheen to them, which could have proved problematic when we were lighting the art, but it actually enhanced it in a really magnificent way where they they capture the light and it pushes it, you know, it throws it back at you. So it really does look like the paintings are lit from behind. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, his fascination with nature and uh, that was his drive. And he he saw spirit in everything in nature. And uh, if I can recall one of his quotes about uh, nature, sort of fascinating. But I'll um, I'll get to that. But he, you know, between making Christmas cards and um, sculptures and uh, the artwork, uh, whether it was scratch boards or watercolors or oil on masonite um it's just he was so prolific and mm -hmm. so driven yeah and he also did commercial art he what, what's interesting things although he didn't consider it commercial art art was art to him no matter what it was and so, yeah, you have examples of uh, menus that he did for the Stouffer's restaurants, uh, a Ham's, Ham's beer commercial, uh, um, <laughs> yeah. beer ad. Uh, I mean, and he did for our, our movie fans, he did the Universal Studios um, logo that we see in yeah. their films and uh, the opening credits for West Side Story. I mean, he did all kinds of things. I mean, just really fascinating. And uh, you don't realize that, you know, as a boy, when I saw this, I didn't realize I, it was Ivan Earl. So. For some of our older listeners, yeah, the Craft Suspense Theater, the mm -hmm. intro to that, which was in, done in 60, uh, between 63 and 65, um, these beautiful, uh, really dramatic black and white and gray studies uh, with with magnificent shadows and depth and uh, perspective that uh, was the opening to crafts. Also, you know, album covers. He did, uh, Tennessee Ernie Ford had the um, television program uh, and he did a special, The Story of Christmas. Well, <laughs> Ivan animated that. It was a very ambitious project. Um, it was... Uh, it was the story of Christmas that he created cutouts of the different characters in the story, and he created backgrounds that they would just pass in front of, almost like shadow puppets in a way. Mm -hmm. And he created this, uh, this magnificent animation that had never been done like this, and it took a long, long time to mm -hmm. produce it. But he uh, he combined in a multiplane camera with four separately lit levels to create different effects and moods, and he just did this bipec process in which two reels of film were fed into the camera, and he was able to move these figures on a black and white traveling mat while shooting the background. So that was very successful, and then he decided he would do the Easter story, and um, so he spent I think it was over a year 
producing all of the characters and the footage. And uh, I think it was screened, it was aired once in Los Angeles in 1969. And um, unfortunately, uh, it could have been interpreted as anti-Semitic at the time with the crucifixion. So the production, that was it. He says, that was the beginning of the end of my motion picture Mm -hmm. career. It would be his final motion picture work. But uh, if you recall, in the gallery, we have this case filled with different uh, characters, and they're these beautifully painted uh, cutouts of Jesus and Mary Magdalene and Pontius Pilate and (laughs) Judah and all of the characters in the uh, crucifixion. And uh, they had never been exposed or shown anywhere. And so... When I was co-curating with Johan Saas, who's uh, the president of the Ivan Earl Publishing, and he manages Ivan's collection uh, for Ivan's family as well, I said, "Um, is there anything that's never been seen? And he said, well, and he talked about these characters. So when you come to the exhibition, you'll get to see these magnificent characters come to life. They are beautiful and they're remarkably large. <laughs> so they are, yeah, yeah. And different sizes. So he did uh-huh. the depth by creating the same character in different sizes. Mm-hmm. So he was the, able to move them to the foreground. Yeah. I was looking for the Tennessee Ernie Ford Christmas special, hoping it was on YouTube because I heard it had been digitized in the nineties. Yeah. And yes. um, I only found clips of it, but oh my gosh, it was magnificent. It was it was like watching a Christmas card come to life. Uh, That's a good the, description. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and I'm I'm hoping somewhere the whole thing exists where we can um, we could get it. Now, how did Ivan Earl end up? Uh, how did he cross paths with Walt Disney? Well, um, he had applied for a job at the Disney Studios for 15 years, he applied and was turned down. And uh, it just, you know, he was just very fortunate (laughs) when the last time he applied, he was considered. And so he came into the studio and um, when he arrived at the studio, he he saw this... um, this room filled and his quote is, I remember the first day I came to work at Disney's up on the wall of one of the artist's rooms were about a hundred exquisite little paintings by Mary Blair. It was her job to do the first original styling for a feature or a special short. She was a great artist, a great designer and a great colorist. In my mind, I said to myself, that's the job I want at Disney. So he uh, he he got what he wanted. <laughs> mm-hmm. He had been uh, really um, his mom and him were, you know, in poverty and struggling. And uh, so in 1950, he he got the job at the studio and uh, he worked with um, uh, different. Uh, he assisted with others on projects like the Little House and. Uh, Peter Pan and uh, Toot Whistle, Plunk and Boom. And um, he was busy at the studio for close to a decade. Um, He did paintings, uh, backgrounds for the park sequence and Lady and the Tramp, Uh, animated shorts working for Peanuts, Pigs as Pigs, 
uh, Grand Canyon scope, which I hadn't seen any of that work, and it's really quite wonderful, especially with the horses uh, climbing these rocks at a perfectly <laughs> vertical piece. And um, I love his Paul Bunyan, and uh, you know, so he he was also in the in the production the Four Artists in a Tree. Yes, I I remember seeing that on television, and I yeah I was fascinated by that because you know they would rerun it on on mm-hmm. you know the wonderful world of color and. That is a fascinating show. And Ivan Earl is really spotlit, spotlighted in this, where it's yes. four, four Disney artists go out and create the same tree, and they all look different because it's all their interpretations of it. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Um, and you can see, he just goes, he goes in for that detail, you know, that up-close <laughs> detail of the, the gnarled bark. With uh, the bark um, and the lichens and moss. and then the, and the light and the shade, that again it was like you were saying the tree almost looks like it's you can see the light coming from within the tree. Yes, you know? yes, he really so. brings it to life, and he was so influenced by you know Gothic paintings and you know Chinese and Japanese art and all, and so all of his all of that art that came together for Sleeping Beauty was all of his fascination with all of that um, art with Arabic influences and you know um, works done during the Crusades, and so he really um, took that and ran with it. <laughs> he captured that on the screen. Well, you know what was interesting, and I think you have this in your book, the, for the Museum of Waking Beauty, The Art of Ivan Earl. I always noticed when I looked at the concept art that's on display at the museum that um, Mary Blair did for like Alice in Wonderland and Peter Pan. And, you know, we all, you know, you, you tell the story in the museum of how much Walt loved her artwork uh, to the point that she was the only artist he allowed to sign her work. Um, mm. But yet you don't see that style in the films. And in, in your book, I think you, you, talk about how when the animators the head animators um said hey you know because walt put ivan earl in charge of the style of mm-hmm. sleeping beauty mm-hmm. and then when the the head animators who were like nine old men and stuff like that they sort of pushed back walt said you know Every time, like when I have Mary Blair do this concept work, that style mm-hmm. never makes it into the film. But Ivan mm-hmm. Earl's in charge. I want this style in the film. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. It, it's interesting how Mary Blair, um, her her style. I guess the other artists said that it was so flat, and it, you know it was hard to animate. But yet, all of the productions that she worked on, it's her palette. Mm-hmm. And it's her style. It may not be her art, but you can see her through and through the film. I mean, it wouldn't have that look at all if it weren't for Mary's, you know, command of color and and uh, and and um, composition. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And and it's interesting because he, Ivan Earl, said that Mary Blair was a tremendous influence on him, especially her use of color. Mm-hmm. 
And it seems like yeah. after his time at the Walt Disney Family Museum, you can see the uh, – I'm sorry, at the Walt Disney Studio, you can see her influence on him in the art he did afterwards. It seemed like his oh, yeah. colors were much more bold. And it, yes. it's – yeah, and it seemed like there was a, a Tyrus Wong influence on his art. Absolutely, there is that. And, and it's interesting how their paths were so similar in many ways. Uh, you know, the cards, the holiday cards, and um, some sculptures, and how Tyrus, you know, his sculptures flew, so he did the kites. But, um, you know, the, the whole sense of uh, landscape and all, with the exception of, the fact that Tyrus would try to do a painting with less than 10 strokes. Obviously there's 10 spots per square inch. I think of, of Ivan Earl's paintings is just the, the tedious repetition of the, the dots that he did that pointillism that mm-hmm. created that depth and feel of his paintings. It's just remarkable. It is. And that's why the detail in there. And I was thinking, you know, I even think um, a, a, a person that's very popular amongst Disney collectors are those um, Jim Shore figurines, those Disney figurines where he oh, uses. Yeah. He, I, I thought, you know, I think he was probably influenced by Ivan Earl in how Ivan Earl, when you look at the pointillism of the patterns that he does mm-hmm. in the trees mm-hmm. and, and shrubs mm-hmm. and and especially mm-hmm. in Sleeping Beauty, how he worked those gothic designs, um, yes. like flourishes yes. and the things I thought, yes. you know, it wouldn't surprise me if Jim Shore saw some of this and did that in his work. Um, well, you know, I d- think that when you recognize that um, amazing technique in an artist, uh, you're certainly uh, copied many times over because it just, it brings you in and it, it sort of solves a problem that you may have with um, working out a detail in your technique or so, and you see it done by another artist that you're drawn to. It really helps resolve that problem, doesn't it? It does. Yeah. Yeah. Now, what would you say is Ivan Earl's um, lasting legacy in the art world? Oh, Lasting legacy. Well, um, I I keep going back to the way he celebrated the American landscape. To me, he presented the American landscape in such a unique style and fashion. It really makes you, uh, when you go out in nature, it 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 changes your perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, I think people have been influenced by that. They they look at the way he created these brilliant landscapes with you know all shades of the rainbow really and the way he masters that it it really makes you look at art nature differently i think and that that to me is a amazing legacy that he can have that effect on people um but in the art world well again uh just the fact that you can create a moment on a landscape or seascape uh, and have it looked at in such depth and sort of a, sort of a naive way that he's able to look at it and study it. Mm -hmm. And I think it brings people's awareness to that. I agree. And I think he, he finds the purity in nature 
And 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 I always and I think there's a quote. I, I think I can't remember if it's in the museum or if it's in the book. How he believes he loved w- the winterscape. So she like his um Christmas card collection because oh, yeah. he said um, when you put snow on anything, it it, it <laughs> makes the scene pure, even if it's like an old shack. You put snow on it, and he says that it looks pure. <laughs> <laughs> yes yeah it's it, it's it's wonderful the way he describes that he said and i'll i'll quote this for you if you don't mind he says i never planned to be involved with christmas card designing it simply happened as a means of survival somehow the designs pour out of me with almost no effort at all i was never critical of my own work I simply turn out one or two, even more designs in one day. For one thing, to me, every day is Christmas. Every creation is divine. Cover the ugliest rundown shack with snow, and it becomes a magic vision of purity. Every mother with her child is a Madonna. (laughs) It seems like he has almost a, a, he has an optimism, you know, in, in, in his outlook in life, it seems. Very much like Walt Disney. That Wait, did come from his uh, spirituality, I think. It, it mm-hmm. really uh, drove him. And his, uh, yeah, I think that really is what did it. You know, yeah. he didn't allow himself to be uh, down, in the, down in the dumps, I think. He would find a way to climb out of it and, and continue on. Mm-hmm. And he also saw his hardships as something that made him better, that spurred him on. Um, yes. And, and, and again, very much like um, that, that's very much a theme in Walt Disney's life that's, you know, throughout the museum. You know, every time, um, you know, Walt Disney had a failure, it spurned him on to accomplishing something even greater. You know, so. absolutely. And I've heard yeah. that over again where someone says, he was given lemons and he made lemonade. Yep, exactly. You know, this wonderful uh, drive and uh, not fail. You know, mm-hmm. the failure wasn't an option. Just continue on, right? That's right. That's what we all have to do. <laughs> now, do, <Yeah>. you have, <laughs> do you have any favorite pieces in the exhibition? I do. And uh, sometimes it changes daily. But sometimes I go back to uh, I go back to my favorites, and um, there's one called Paradise, yes, which I find incredibly captivating, and I just climb into that painting every moment I can. Uh, another one is Hillside Magic. I think is absolutely one of my favorite vertical paintings he did, mm-hmm. and when we. When we were lighting the gallery, uh, it was sort of, it's on the dark side. The painting is sort of dark, but then we turned the light and all of a sudden the sun just shone across the, the painting and created these dramatic shadows. And, and that's the painting. He captured that. He captured Mm -hmm. that light. It was late in the day. Uh, but the sun was still peeking over the hillside and, uh, I, I got to say that I, I go back to that painting most every day. I, I go back and look at it. And another fascinating one is his East River, which actually is is next to the Hillside Magic. And it's this uh, fabulous painting of the skyline and the water. And the way it's done, you can step to the side and it looks three-dimensional. 
it looks like those buildings jut out of the canvas. Pretty remarkable. Mm-hmm. Pretty remarkable. And his watercolors. They're his watercolors. Yeah, beautiful. Dreamy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a couple of my favorites. It's that well, the ancient forest is one. The, yeah. the geometric trees, mm-hmm. but when you see uh, the one tree that's in the um, foreground where the light is streaming mm-hmm. across it, but but then you mm-hmm. see in the trunk all of these beautiful fall leaves designs mm-hmm. in the mm-hmm. trunk of the tree, and then I, then I go to simplistic the, the Yosemite. In the snow with the trees. Yes, I mm-hmm. absolutely love that one. That's that's one yeah. where I thought I I I want that in my house. <laughs> <laughs> and if I had to choose one painting that would change my life, I think it's the bright cheeriness of the mustard fields, mm-hmm. and it's just this absolutely glorious uh, painting with uh, an old withered tree in the foreground and then these magnificent mustard fields with oak trees uh, dotted across them with a fence. It just, that's a pretty magical piece too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this is an absolutely spectacular exhibit. I've seen all of the exhibitions at the Walt Disney Family Museum and this is, I don't know, my top one or two. So I, 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 I I just, I I don't know, this one just seemed to speak to me. And so I'm hoping that, um, you know, everyone who's listening to the show, I I do think this is a destination exhibit that if you've been thinking about going to the Walt Disney Family Museum, um, go go at when this exhibit mm. is is running or if you haven't been in a while revisit it you know and see this exhibition i know this is an exhibition that warrants multiple visits in my opinion um i know i'll see it many times so um michael how long will the um will uh awaking beauty be at the walt disney family museum it's here until January 8th, 2018, so you have plenty of time to come and see it multiple times. Um, it, it, it's a very unique exhibition for us in many, uh, many ways. One is we've never exposed so much art without glazing, you know, because his paintings were lacquered. So there's a lot of very exposed art. So we have certain precautions we have to take and limitations of no backpacks and things because it could damage them pretty easily. Mm -hmm. Uh, But we also, we didn't include any monitors, any video. The only element in there is the classical music that Ivan like lives listening to. So Mm -hmm. Johan Saz, co-curator, he provided us with Ivan's music and we have that playing. It just has this really wonderful fine art feeling to it. There's no, no gizmos, no gadgets, just the art and it speaks for itself. Mm-hmm. So I hope you will come and enjoy it. I agree. And, the, you know, it's interesting because I did notice the music and I thought this is perfect, you know, um, mm. for this exhibition. I didn't realize that's what Ivan liked to listen to. So Yes, and there is a card at the door. If you do choose to find a poem that Ivan's written that he uh, associates with the paintings, that is by the door. We didn't want to distract anyone um, in the gallery by stopping and having feeling you had to read the poem. I thought we, we just 
figured it would be a wonderful opportunity for people to, if that's how they want to view it, if they mm-hmm. want to read the poetry that I've been created, there's that option as well. Oh, and then okay, you notice good. the education's uh, influence, our education department, uh, we, on the, uh, the mezzanine level uh, lobby, uh, education created these murals that were drawings from different tapestries and uh, they they did a grid and they cut each piece into a little square and they're all numbered and um, our visitors come and there's two tables filled with colored pencils and you get to just take a square off of the wall and you contribute to that to that mural and it's we've done five of them so far since we've opened. <laughs> wow, what fun! So we can fun. we can create yeah. our own art as well. You can, <laughs> yes, you can go by inspiration from Ivan. Excellent, the, and you also have some other uh, accompanying uh, programs to go along with the exhibition. So you do have the film, um, Ivan Earl, my, my life and painting a life or painting a painting will be playing yes. at the museum in August and September. And yes. also in September, um, Ivan Earl's short films will be playing both his Disney shorts as well as some of his commercial um, shorts. Yes. And then, yeah, and then there's a there's some talks going on um, on August nineteenth. I'm going to this Ivan Earl's influence on. I, okay, I, I'm not even going to attempt to pronounce this in French, but it's basically Ivan Earl's influence on the Sleeping Beauty Castle at Walt Disney, um, Walt Disney's Disneyland, um, you know, um, Disneyland Paris Resort, which is beautiful and is based. It was directly influenced by Ivan Earl's art in Sleeping Beauty and Tony Baxter is hosting that one and who yeah. designed the park in September uh, in November 4th there's a talk on Ivan Earl's influence on Frozen and Pocahontas so uh, <laughs> so talk about his influence continues for um for Walt Disney um animation and December 16th um legendary Disney animators from Sleeping Beauty with um Bernie Madison and Floyd Norman Will oh, be, fabulous. yeah. So, so a lot of good things going on, and you can get tickets to the museum and find and for all of these events, and find out more about the museum at WaltDisney.org. And Michael, is there any that anything else coming up that you would like to share with our listeners? Any sneak previews or anything you want to tell well, us about? I think it was announced at D twenty three that we're doing the Nine Old Men, mm-hmm. and um, that. That's going to follow Ivan Earl's exhibition and uh, curated by Don Hahn. And um, that's going to be a very exciting thing. We have um, our education department is working with our exhibition team and uh, creating an exhibition. Uh, I don't know that it's been released yet, but uh, they work with different organizations, with uh, adults with handicaps and and all like uh, creative growth or different groups that uh, they have um, adult artists that produce uh, this most wonderful magical art. And we're um, we're gonna be featuring uh, an exhibition starting in September. And let's see. well, I don't know that we've announced Glenn Keane, but we are doing the art of Glenn Keane. Oh, yeah, excellent. Yeah, all right. 
Oh, that's wonderful. I probably and probably spilled the beans. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's great. You heard it here first, folks. <laughs> uh, marketing will kill me. <laughs> Don't tell anybody. <laughs> no, keep it to ourselves. And of course, in the theater gallery right now is the art of Andreas Deja. So um, oh, yes, that, that's yes. also a very nice exhibit. So one of our favorite people in the world. He's just the most delightful man, a pleasure to work with. And he's such a friend and part of the family here. And, and there's also a number of books on Ivan Earl available at the Walt Disney Family Museum gift shop, including the two we talked about, the official catalog for the exhibit, Awaking Beauty, the Art of Ivan Earl. And Michael, I think you you've contributed heavily to this. So. Yes, I have. <laughs> and then, along the, with a great team, and then the autobiography of Ivan Earl called "Horizon Bound on a Bicycle," and and then you have a number of books that contain um, the art of Ivan Earl, including well, I think three that are were published by him. There's, I think, two huge volumes that contain his work, and then then there's the 17 pound um, book that's of his Christmas cards <laughs> that is over 800 designs he did. Yeah, pretty yeah, remarkable. It, yes, it is about it 800 is, pounds. <laughs> it is. It is. It is a breathtakingly beautiful book. It reminds me of the the ornate book that used to be in the, in the early Disney films when they would open it up like the sleeping That's beauty right. book. And stuff. It's, right. it's, it's, it looks like that. It is. Well, it, it is really remarkable. Yeah. Well, Michael, thank you so much for being on the Dis Unplugged Disneyland I, to talk about a great treat and uh, opportunity to chat with you. It was, I really enjoyed it. And uh, well, I'll look forward to seeing you at the museum and I, I hope every forward. everyone out there definitely come visit the Walt Disney Family Museum, see the Ivan Earl e- exhibition, and let me know what you think. Did you enjoy it? I'm sure you will. But uh, tell, uh, share your impressions, and I'll pass them on to um, Michael so he can share them with his team. So come and say hello. Yes, absolutely. And that concludes this segment of the Diz Unplugged. Please listen to our other segments this week. And thank you for listening. And I only hope that we don't lose sight of one thing, that it was all started by a man, Walt Disney, and his brother Roy. <laughs> <laughs>